Good morning. Good to see you. My name is Chad Myers. I'm our Adult Discipleship Director. Welcome to those of you joining us online also. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to preach in here, and I was really glad when I saw my name on the list for this date, so I've been looking forward to it, and uh, probably not as much as you have, but you've really been looking forward to it, I know. Uh, I know, my jokes aren't as funny as Pastor Bryce's. I, you know, he's been working on his humor game and uh, doing a good job at it, so if you want to be generous, give Mr. Bryce a compliment this week, and Bryce, you're, you've gotten a lot funnier. <clears throat> I... Uh, what I'd like to do is we're starting a new series uh, called Generosity, uh, Life Overflowing. I'd like to read a passage. I have two primary texts today. I'd read a passage and then pray and then get started. Uh, my family was here in the first service, and my wife showed me the bulletin, and she goes, look at that. And I said, yeah. She goes, your sermon is outlined all through the bulletin, and there's your quotes and the scripture passages are already in there. And I thought to myself, yeah, I should warn people that just because you have looked at that and you've already looked up the scriptures, you cannot leave prematurely. That does not count as sitting through the sermon. I mean, what if I have something else to say that's not in there, all right? So you got to stay with me, okay? All right, one person staying. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray, and then you'll be the only one here. I really appreciate that. Uh, let's actually, let's stand, if you're willing and able, read Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 10. <clears throat> If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them. And do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our minds to see the wonderful beauty and truth in your scriptures. May we delight in it and may we know your love for us today more and more. In Christ's name, amen. Today we're going to be talking about open hands, open hands. I want everyone to do me a favor. I want you to take your hands and I want you to ball them up into a fist and squeeze. Squeeze tight. Hold on tight. All right, now slowly let go. Open up your hands. Moses says here in Deuteronomy, I don't want you to have tight fists, clenched fists. I want you to have open hands. He says, when you see the needy among you, I don't want you to have a clenched fist. I want you to open your hands to them. Did you know that the body language of a clenched fist, you know what it signals? Aggression, defensiveness, frustration, restraint, anger. The body language of a clenched fist is, I am ready to strike. I'm ready to fight. And Moses says, I don't want you to be tight-fisted people. Don't walk through the world with clenched fists. Walk through the world with open hands. There was a, a little girl. Her father had given her $2. And he said, $1, you can do anything you want to with it. The other dollar belongs to God. She said, okay. And so she's making her way to the candy store, and she's got both dollars, one in each hand. She's holding them really tight. 
Well, as she's going to the candy store, she stumbles over a curb. And in order to catch herself, she has to put both hands down. So she opens up her fists, and she puts both hands down, and the $2 fall out, and one of them goes into the storm drain. And she got up, and she dusted herself off, and she picked up the $1, and she clenched it even tighter in her fist, and she said, well, sorry, Lord, there goes your dollar. (laughs) God wants us to walk through the world with open hands, not tight fists. And when we talk about generosity in this series, we're not only talking about finances. We're not only talking about money. We're talking about a holistic generosity. What do we do with our words? Do we give them freely? Do we encourage, affirm, share our love with our words freely? What about our emotions, our affections? Do we share those freely with people around us? Who is in need of us giving some TLC to Do we use our time? Is our time in our clenched fists? This is my time. I only have so much. I only have so much to do, and I got to have some me time. Do we use it to serve others, our body, our intellect, our minds, our gifts? And this also includes our resources. Are we a keeping people, or are we a giving people? There are many different ways that we can hold on to life and what we have. We can hold it fearfully. And maybe that describes some of us. We've gone through a pandemic that's hit people in many different ways, very difficult. Many think we are in or sliding into a recession. We see inflation. We see gas prices. We see food prices. It's understandably that we might want to hold things a little bit more tight. We can hold it guiltily. I look around and I see other people and they don't have as much as I, or or I look at the world and they don't have as much as we do and I, I feel guilty about it. We can hold it awkwardly. We can hold it gratefully, joyfully, generously. This really breaks down into into two forms of the way of holding our life and the resources we have. We can hold it with closed hands or we can hold it with open hands. And God says in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, when he called Abraham out to go to a different country and to be a the father of the redeemed community, he said this, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to give to you so that you can give. It's not just so that he could receive the blessing and hold on to it. It's always been an aim, sort of a cyclical goal. God blesses, we receive, we bless others, God blesses. That's the goal. It's all throughout Scripture. God gives to the people of God in the redeemed community so that we might give to those around us so that we could tell the story of a generous God. And in Deuteronomy 15, this is what's going on. You know, the people of God, they were rescued from Egypt, and they didn't quite get into the promised land because they sent spies out, and it was just too much. There's the, the, the people there are too big. We can't make it. So because of unbelief, they come back and say, you know, we're not going to take the land. So what would have been like a 14-day backpacking trip now became a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And so they wandered for 40 years, and then that generation had passed on, and they are on the precipice of entering into the promised land, and Moses preaches to them Deuteronomy. 
And in Deuteronomy 15, he says, when you get into the land, you will build cities. It will be a promised land flowing with milk and honey. That's just a metaphor for it's go- God's going to bless you and going to provide for you. You're going to have wine presses and you know, olive presses and wine vats and the grain's going to be overflowing and God's favor is going to be with you. But there will be some among you for whatever reason Maybe their field didn't produce crops that year. Maybe a storm came in and, 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 and it killed their livestock. That they will need your help. And he says, when you see them, don't be hard-hearted against them. Don't hold it against them that they are in need. Don't blame them. Don't look down upon them. Don't elevate yourself above them. He says, don't be hard-hearted and don't be tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And then he says this, be careful that you don't think to yourself, oh, the seventh year is coming. Now, what does he mean by the seventh year is coming? Well, in, in the nation of Israel, every seventh year, it would have been a debt cancellation year. So if someone fell in need and they needed to, to have to borrow from their fellow Israelite, there's no interest in the nation. Uh, that was forbidden, no interest. And so you could borrow, and then you were paying this back, you were paying this debt back, but at the end of every seven year, debt cancels, all of them. So you could start over. That's how they kept their nation going. That's how they kept the economy strong. They would start over. And, and Moses says this, if you're coming up and you're close to year seven and someone is in need, don't say to yourself, well, only six more months and all their debts will be canceled anyways, they're going to start over. It'll be fine. Don't say to yourself, I don't need to give to them because that's someone else's responsibility. Don't say to yourself, well, that's their problem. They need to figure it out. If you see it and it's in your power to meet the need, Moses says, then have open hands and freely lend them whatever they need. Then he says this, you give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart, then God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. When we use the work of our hands to bless others, God will bless the work of our hands. God blesses us, we bless others, God blesses us. You see that? It's meant to be an open cycle. If you could draw kind of this circle, uh, it's meant to be this cycle of the Holy Spirit is, is, is pouring out generously into our lives and we don't just, we're not just containers, but we're conduits and we're meant to give that blessing to others. We're meant to be able to pour out onto others. But we have to have open hands to do that. Now, sometimes when we talk about giving in the church, you know, people have all sorts of reactions. People get anxious. People get tight. People get defensive. People get frustrated. Uh, But Jesus talked quite a bit about giving. He said things like, you know, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You know, keep it secret and God will reward you. And it's not that God needs our stuff. Some of you may say, well, God doesn't need our stuff. The Bible says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And that's true. God doesn't need our stuff. But God wants our heart. God wants our heart. And God knows that our hands are extensions of our hearts. You see, the activity of our hands reveals the affection of our hearts. You see, that's not, that's not in the bulletin. That, one, that one's in there for you now. I'm going to give you a chance to write it down. The activity of our hands reveals the affections of our hearts, and God wants our hearts. Listen to Matthew 
chapter 6, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Wherever the activity of your hands, wherever you value something, there the desires of your heart will be. So if you say, well, what do I value? What do I really value? Well, watch the activity of your hands. Sit back for a week and observe, and your hands will reveal what your heart really values. And Jesus wants our hearts. This is not, hey, just just be a good philanthropist. This is not, hey, this is just something that we do as a church. We just give. No, it comes from a changed heart. It comes from a transformed heart. We give because, as we sang, we've received freely. We've been given grace at great cost to Jesus, at no cost to us. So guess what? We freely give. We've been forgiven much. We've been given God's love. We're recipients every day. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. So guess what? Freely receive, freely give. We've been given the good news that Jesus is reigning and ruling over a kingdom in which there is love, justice, and mercy. And you can get in on this and you can be a part of a kingdom where one day that king will come and wipe every tear from our eyes, wipe away all sorrow, all sickness, all death. There will be no more war. There will be no more pandemics, epidemics. There will be no more famine. And that's good news. Freely we received, freely we can give. Jesus wants our heart. Wherever our treasure is, there the desires of our hearts will be also. And when we see this benevolent king pouring out generously upon the earth, in fact, he says in in the New Testament that God makes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, and he doesn't begrudge it. He's not upset about it. You know what I mean? He gives to people common grace who don't even acknowledge him, and he's not mad about it. He gives freely. He gives generously. And when our hearts are transformed, we look a little bit more like him. Uh, in, in the New Testament, people have all sorts of ideas about the early church. Um, I I'll often hear a lot of assertions about, oh, we're going to be like the early church. We're going to be like an Acts 2 church. We're going to be like the early church. Well, here's a challenge. There were a lot of different early churches. There was a church in Corinth. There was a church in Galatia. Uh, there was a church in Ephesus. There was a church in Philippi. And sometimes people get down on, oh, American churches, there are a lot of wealthy churches. Well, here's, here's the reality. There were wealthy churches in the early church. Philippi was one of them, and Ephesus was one of them. And guess who was the pastor at Ephesus? Young Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor at Ephesus, and Paul wrote to him to help him learn how to shepherd this congregation. Do you know what he says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 through 19? Listen to this. Ephesus was in Rome. It's a large city. Cultured city, large library, statues, uh, just think of a large, very wealthy cultured city. He says this in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world to feel bad about it. No. Command those who are rich in this present world to feel guilty or embarrassed or ashamed of it. No. Command those who are rich in this present world to sell everything they have and give away so they can't give anymore. No. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth because it's actually so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who is certain, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy had some wealthy people in his church. So did Philippi. And Paul doesn't get down on them. He says, God has blessed you. And look at this. He blesses you and he richly provides you with everything for your enjoyment. That is a real gift. Ecclesiastes says this, for the work of your hands, the things that you build, to be able to enjoy your family and food and your resources, to be able to really enjoy that, Ecclesiastes says, that's a gift of God. That's a real gift. And Paul here says to Timothy, command those who are rich to not be proud, to not think to themselves, well, look at this, look at this great empire I've built. You know, I did this with my own two hands. It was all me, and I did it myself, and I didn't take any handouts from anybody, and I am the king of the castle. Paul says, just tell people don't be too proud. Tell people don't be arrogant. Tell people not to think that it was all of them that got them what they have. And tell them not to put their hope in wealth Just take a look at the last century and how the economy has ebbed and flowed and crashings and rebuilding. Tell them not to put their hope in wealth because it's like the sand. It's like the tide. It comes and goes. But put your hope on God. He is sure. He is certain. He is faithful. He says, I want them to be willing to share. Willing to share. I, I, I get inspired by stories of generosity, any type of generosity. I get really inspired when I see kids. When you see a kid, a child, being generous, it just, it, it wrecks me in the best way. And so our 12-year-old son, he has, he has his own room, and in his room, uh, a few weeks ago, we had walked up there, and uh, we had seen this bowl, and in this bowl that he'd taken out of the kitchen, he had filled it up with peppermints. And he wrote a little note, and it said, please take one. And as a dad, I was just like, oh, my, my, my little middle schooler has got a little tender heart. Like, you know, oh, you, you take the victories, the little victories as a parent, right? You take the little victories. Like, yeah, he's probably not going to jail. That's awesome. Like, woohoo! And so you take those, and you're like, oh, my little guy, he's being so generous and hospitable. He wants anyone to come in the room that they can see this, this bowl of, of peppermints and take one. And gosh, I just love that. It actually took us like four or five days before I realized, wait a second, we don't buy peppermints. Where is this guy getting these peppermints? And I asked my wife, I said, hey, did you see Boaz's peppermint bowl in his room? And she's like, yeah. And I said, do you buy any peppermints? She said, no. I said, where is he getting the peppermints? She goes, I don't know. It was a mystery for a few weeks until one Sunday when we left church. And that guy had a pocket full of peppermints that he had taken from the traditional room. <laughs> his heart was in the right place. We're working on his hands. <laughs> hey, maybe he had it figured out. I'm willing to share your stuff. You got a lot of stuff. I'm going to help you share it. <laughs> he says, I want you to be willing to share. Are you ready to share? To open up your hands. Paul says, don't put your hope in wealth, but use wealth to provide hope. Have you ever been in need? And it's been a silent struggle, maybe just you alone or you and your family knew. 
and you've been on the receiving end of someone meeting that need. And maybe you never told anybody about it, but you just prayed. Could have come through the mail or something else, and you know what it's like to be on the receiving end. It bolsters your hope a little more, and you start to think, oh, God sees us. God provides. God is faithful. And Paul says, I want you to be on the lookout for any opportunity to be able to give and to provide hope. Help people get along just a little bit more. Brighten up their day. Be generous with your words. Be generous with your resources. He also says here, generous hands come from grateful hearts. Generous hands come from grateful hearts. He says, God provides you everything you need for your enjoyment, and you get to enjoy that. So out of this gratitude, we are looking around with open hands. How can I, how can I serve? How can I give back? How can I pay it forward, so to speak? Tim Keller says it like this. If you have money, power, and status today, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources are in the end the gift of God. God put us right here. He put us in this specific time in history. He's given us the gifts that we have, the intellect, the willpower, the emotional intelligence. He's created this. He put us in a situation where we could create networks and we could build. And Paul says, don't be arrogant. All of it's a gift. Psalm 100, I believe, says that it's he who made us, not we ourselves. It's he who made us, and he sustains us. It's not only that generosity gives people hope. It actually fuels the mission of God forward. Generous hands fuel the mission of God forward. Now, if we look back throughout church history, is it okay if I go a little church history for a few minutes? Right, one person, yes, you're still okay? <laughs> Thank you. I got a little yes. Um, if we look back at church history, one of the things that the church has been known for is their generosity and the way they gave, not only their resources, but their lives to serve others and to steward the mission forward. Now, when we look back, we don't see a perfect church. There is times in our history where in the name of God we've hurt people and we have to own that, but we have seen a redeemed community who has been about blessing the earth. In fact, in the third century, they found a letter. It's a letter to Diognesis. Diognesis is the recipient of this. We don't know who the author is to this day, but he describes, likely a Roman citizen, describes the Christians like this. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws in their lives. They love all and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute, and yet they enjoy complete abundance. Notice what he says. This unique, distinct group of people, they have high morals. They have high ethics. He says they share a table. They're generous there but they have a high sexual ethic, loose with their pocketbooks, but not loose on their sexual ethic. They maintain their distinctiveness so that they can give credibility to their message. Now, there's a few ways that the church can interact with the culture around us. We can assimilate to the culture so much that we look like everyone around us, but then 
we don't have any credibility with the message that, hey, we have a different life that is actually worth living, or we can retreat so far away from the culture around us, and we look nothing like the culture around us, and we lose credibility because we don't have anything to say to real people in real lives in their daily nine to five. Or we can be in the world, but not of the world. We can be in the culture, maintaining our unique, distinct identity as the redeemed community of faith, called out people who are holy, but not holier than thou, and yet telling an alternative story, a counter-narrative to the one being told today. That's what the early church did. He says they were poor, and yet they made many rich. They gave. They gave their lives. In fact, one of the ways that they gave their life is because they had this high ethic around the sanctity of, of humanity. So in the Roman Empire, they practiced something called infanticide. And if uh, a father, the patriarch of the family, did not want to keep a young girl because a young girl might cost them more money and they couldn't go to war, take over the business, they would take that child who was born and they would place that young girl on the trash heap to die of exposure. And what did the Christians do? The Christians went to the trash heap and they took that young girl and they took, it in, took that girl into their family. They adopted her and they raised her as their own. They gave. When the early church and the Roman Empire faced several epidemics where they were so diseased that they, they didn't know how the contagion was working, they would take, the pagans would take their dying and they would put them outside before they were dead because they didn't want to contract the disease and die themselves. What did the Christians do? The Christians would go to these people, they would care for them, they would take care of them at their own life expense. And the, and the pagans didn't get it. They didn't get it. In fact, so much so, the early church had so much influence with their generosity that before the Roman Empire fell, you saw the, the death of infanticide, you saw the gladiatorial shows come to an end, and the disfigurement of criminals, something that the Romans practiced. You saw all of this end before the Roman Empire because of the generous posture of the early church. And Emperor Julian in the fourth century said this, we've got to restore paganism. We've got to restore paganism. You know, he wrote a letter to the ruler in Galatia, and in that letter to the ruler of Galatia, he said, it's embarrassing that the Christians not only take care of their own, but they're taking care of our poor and needy. Hospitals, a sustained social phenomena that began to be organized about the fourth century, largely via church initiative. Hospitals, because of Christians. Universities, formal institutions dedicated to higher learning. They, too, were pioneered in large by the church, the 11th and 12th centuries, uh, by church patronage and the, uh, the religious group known as the Jes Jesuits. They saw the advance of science as something that they would like to give their finances to because they thought we would love to understand better the mind of God. And even in today's, most underserved and underprivileged country where the government is not able to take care of the poorest, there is the church caring, reaching out, giving clean water and sustainable food to people who are in need. The church historically has been a generous community. 
So how are our hands? Are we open? Are we closed? How are our hearts? Are we open? Are we closed? Are we holding on to some kind of pain, some form of bitterness, some form of resentment that's keeping our heart just kind of balled up and we think, no, I'm fine. Look at these, you know, three-fourths over here. It's okay. But this one quarter we've got on lockdown and we're holding on tight. Maybe we have one hand open and one hand closed. Well, this stuff is mine. This is mine. You can have this over here. Are we ready and eager to give? I don't uh, often... Uh, watch social media videos. It's, it's really just not my style. Uh, but this week I did see one, and it was uh, a video of two adult elephants in, uh, in, in some type of, you know, fenced-in area with a baby elephant, and they had a pool around them. And the, the, the mother, I presume, was with the baby next to the pool, and the other adult was looking away over here, and the baby all of a sudden got too close to the pool and fell in. Well, it was too deep for the baby to get their feet on the concrete, and so all you see is this little trunk come out of the water. Like, this little trunk comes up, and it was trying to get oxygen, and as soon as that baby falls in, it was, it was almost like you were watching two people with their infant that just fell in a pool. The mother starts to go crazy, trying to get the baby out with the trunk, and the other adult was, who was facing the other way, as soon as he heard the splash, I'm just guessing it's a he, I don't know, he heard the splash, he turns, he turns and runs over, and they're both frantically trying to get this baby out of the pool. Well, they can't do it, so here's what they do. They go over to the shallow end, and they go into the shallow end, and they get to the baby where the, where the baby's just got this little trunk. This is an elephant trunk, by the way. Uh, trunk just breathing air, and the two adults get the baby in between them, and they, he, they squeeze the baby together, and then they both guide the baby to the shallow end of the pool where it can get its feet on the concrete, and then it comes out of the pool. But the most amazing thing about this whole video is that as this was taking place, in the background, on the other side of the fence, there is another adult elephant. And the whole time that the baby was in the pool, as soon as the baby fell in, he is going frantic, running back and forth, trying to find an opening, trying to get through so that he can help rescue this baby elephant. Do we have a posture of eagerness like that, of readiness of God, I'm surveying the landscape this week. Is there anybody that's going to come across my path? Help me be ready to have open hands to them. They may need some time, some words. If there's anything I can do with my resources, God, show me. Do we have a posture of eager readiness to give and to help? This last week... My family and I, we went to Ohio for a funeral. My wife's grandfather had passed. He was 101 years old. 101 years old. He was born in 1921. And his name was Jim Pee Wee Martin. He served in World War II. He jumped in D-Day, landed in Normandy, and fought there. And he also fought in the Battle of the Bulge and a decorated World War II vet. Um, when he went to enlist, he was so eager to go, he went to the Navy. He wanted to go to the Navy, but they told him, well, your submarine's not ready. And uh, this is my wife with her granddad. 
and your submarine's not ready. It'll be about six weeks. But that wasn't good enough for him. He was so eager to help and serve and go, he walked down the hall and he enlisted in the Army. And he was part of the original Tacoa trainers and the 101st Airborne. And you know what he said why he enlisted? He said, there are men who have wives and kids. They have families, and they're going. He says, I'm young, and I'm a single man. I don't have any of those family ties. It's not right that I should stay. I am going to go, and I'm going to give my life in service of my country. He gave generously. And when he got back from the war, he settled in Ohio, and he continued to give to his community. The, the, the people that spoke at his funeral were local leaders and politicians, and they described Jim Martin as a very concerned citizen, that he was always calling them and setting up appointments with them to make sure they were doing right by the law for their community. And he continued to give himself in service. But even at 101 years old, I bet you he would stand before you today and say he still had room to grow in generosity. You see, his wife passed in 2019, and before she did, she said to him, why don't you tell me more that you love me? And he said, well, I show you. I get up, I go to work every day, I provide for the family, I work hard. She said, I know you show me, but sometimes I just want to hear you tell me that you love me. And when she passed in 2019, that hit him hard. And he regretted not telling her more that he loved her. And so now, when people would meet with him, and they would sit in a conversation with Jim Pee Wee Martin, he would lean over to them towards the end, and he would say, you go, and you tell the people that you love, tell them out loud that you love them. You tell your spouse, you tell your kids, you tell your family that you love them, because I didn't get to do that enough. And you don't want to miss that opportunity. And he would say, I still had room to grow in generosity. Friends, how, are, how is God inviting you to grow? What area of your life do you need to release to the Lord, surrender, and say, all right, I'll give. My words, my time, my skills, my resources, whatever it is, I have room to grow. Give me open hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. You give and you don't begrudge it. You're not embittered about it. You don't give tight-fisted. You give open-handed. You sent Jesus and he taught us what it was like to be in relationship with you you're a giver, and you never tire of it. I think you've shown us the secret that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And there's something about giving to someone else freely that enlarges our joy. Help us to learn that. Give us open hearts and transformed hearts. Wherever there's parts of our heart that's not surrendered to you and we're still clutching it with a tight fist, Help us let go. It's all yours anyways. We're all yours. Everything we've accomplished, it's because of the grace you've given us. So we humbly say thank you. And we eagerly look out around us 
for how we can give to others. Give us those eyes to see this week and the hands to meet those needs. For your sake we pray, in Christ's name, amen.